Hey, it's Kendra, your host of the Ageless Podcast. In a society that is rampant with ageism, gerontologist Sally Duplantier shares the message that we are never too old to learn, grow, and make a difference in the world. Too often, our self-limiting beliefs about age become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we think we can't, we can't. In this fascinating interview, we will learn how Sally overcame her own self-doubts to return to college for a Master's of Science degree in gerontology, 45 years after earning her bachelor's degree, and how she is applying that knowledge to help older adults improve health outcomes. Beyond inspiration, Sally will share practical tips from science-based research about how we can begin to overcome our own ageist beliefs. Sally holds a Master's of Science degree, is a gerontologist, a health span educator, and the founder of Zing. Her mission is to help older adults live their best life longer through better lifestyle choices and health equity. Sally holds a Certificate in Nutrition Science from the Stanford University and a Master's of Science in Gerontology from the University of Southern California. She is currently completing a graduate certificate in qualitative research at Indiana University. Sally's published research includes articles on the link between dietary patterns and cognitive decline and improving the health and well-being of family caregivers of Alzheimer's patients. Sally, thanks so much for being here today. I'm so excited about this episode. Well, Kendra, I am delighted to join you. Thanks for having me. So let's dive right in. Sally, in your bio, you describe yourself as a gerontologist and health span educator. What exactly does that mean? That's kind of a mouthful. And I I actually find a lot of people can't even pronounce gerontologist, and they're not familiar with the term. So let me tackle that one first. A gerontologist, it's a special degree, and it's really somebody who's an expert in the science of aging. And so we study aging from a biological, physiological, sociological, psychological perspective. So that's what a gerontologist is. It's kind of a multidisciplinary title. Um, Healthspan educator, healthspan is kind of a new term because we used to talk about lifespan. So that is the number of years that you live. And it was kind of like longevity or lifespan was the goal. Well, I'm working with people to have a different goal. And what I really want to do is increase the number of years in which people are healthy, physically active, mentally strong, and can enjoy life. That's health span. So it's really the number of years that we live without chronic disease or disability. Wow. So I, you know, everyone wants to have a healthy, healthy life. And I think in today's world, we just get so, we can get stuck on the number of years, but I love that you're focusing on those, that quality of life. You know, let's try and expand the number of years that we have great health and can be vibrant and engaged in the community. That's so awesome. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and as an older adult, I just turned 70. Um, you know, that, that's what I want for myself yeah. and the community of people I work with. Fantastic. How did you get interested in the field of gerontology, Sally? So I, I tell people that I'm in my third act professionally. So I'll give you a little bit of background. I'm kind of like a, an entrepreneur, 
by, by nature. I started my first company when I was 28, and it was totally different. It was in technology training and business process change. I sold it. I retired. I said, I'm never going to work again. Then I worked for 10 more years in leadership development. And then, no surprise, I retired and said, I'm never going to work again. <laughs> and then in 2019, so I was in my mid-60s, I just, I became a lot more aware of myself, my family, my friends, people who were a similar age, and how we were kind of on different trajectories. And how, you know, as we get older, there's a lot more heterogeneity. Mm -hmm. By that I mean, you know, some people can hardly move in their mid-60s, and some people are super active. Mm -hmm. So I, I became very interested in it more from a research perspective. Um, first, I started taking some continuing ed classes at Stanford. Then I said, well, I need more training. So I earned a certificate in nutrition science from Stanford and then decided to actually launch this, this company, Zing. Um, and then I said, well, that's not enough. So I went on and I, I earned my master's of science in gerontology from USC. And I will admit that I was the only kid in my graduating class that was on Medicare. <laughs> But I finished 45 years after my bachelor's. Well, we'll talk about that. We're never too old, right? That's what we're talking about today. So good for you. And going against those limiting beliefs. And I want to just back up. You said something so important that as we get older, there's such a heterogeneity about us. And there's a misconception that we're as we're aging, we become more alike, you know, all old people like to play bingo, all old people like to do this, this and this, or they, they all act this way. That's not the case at all. We become more different as we get older. So thank you for bringing that's that up. So yeah. That is so true. And that's true, you know, just from a personality perspective, from a social perspective, from a physiological perspective, we become more different. And, and I'm going to piggyback on something you said, where, where that, that idea that all older adults like to play bingo or are frail or need help or can't do technology. Um, we're going to talk a little more, I, I think, in this program about the research of Becca Levy. So she's, um, Dr. Levy is one of the lead researchers about ageism. Um, she's out of Yale. She's written for deca decades. But probably 10 or 15 years ago, she, she coined the term stereotype embodiment theory. And what this is, is this idea that as children, if, we are, if we're exposed to like, let's say grandparents, and those grandparents are treated as somebody frail or needing help, or grandma can't because she's old, then these kids, actually grow into that stereotype of being old. Mm -hmm. They become what they believe about grandma. And it's so powerful and kind of insidious because it's self, self kind of self-proclaimed ageism that starts to happen at a very young age. Yeah, and isn't there at the opposite end too, I think it's, uh, the term has just left my brain, but a healthcare stereotype where you, if, exactly what you said if you think that someone is frail it's almost like the senior or the older person needs to feels like they need to act that certain way 
Now yes. the term has left my brain, but um, yeah, there's that other end of the spectrum too, where people feel like they need to act that specific way because of cultural expectations or that stereotype. Yeah. So yeah, and let like let's let's bust that man. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Wow, wow. So you, you know, I I'm excited for. I feel like I'm an old soul and I've always been really connected with older adults and I've had lots of exposure in my life, but I, I love that you had this, I'll call it an awakening or you saw the differences in people's trajectories and it encouraged you to go back to school. That's, that's fantastic. My mom went back to school after she retired from teaching at uh, 56 years old and she was really worried about how she would be treated, but we'll get into that later. So Sally, in this podcast, we're talking about overcoming our own ageist beliefs. What was it like for you to return to college in your 60s? Yes. So, okay. So it was scary. But a little bit of a preface is that I have always loved school and I was good at school. So I at least had that as my background. And I'd been taking continuing ed classes at Stanford and I did well with those. So the real leap for me was going from, you know, like a a community college class where it's not graded to something where it would be competitive. And I, I'll raise my hand and say I was the kid who got A's and I still get A's and so I had to get an A. Um, and one of the funniest things, oh, Kendra, you'll laugh at this, was that um, I was accepted into the Master's Master of Science program at, at USC in gerontology, but I had no science background. Like, none. Like, none from my college days. Yep. So I said, well, this would be really good. I'm going to take an online course in medical biology. And it was one of these online, you know, certified online courses where you not only do lecture, but you do labs. And I will tell you, this was, it was so funny because my husband would come home and I'd have the goggles <laughs> and the Bunsen burner and the test tubes. And this was really hard because all of our tests were proctored. There were no notes. Wow. There was no professor. Very different than my amazing USC experience, but you know, there weren't there was nobody to ask questions of it. And I discovered that medical biology was actually like that and organic chemistry. Mm. So it was really hard. No kidding. Um, it was hard and challenging and and kind of humbling. So quite honestly, when I got into USC and you know what I found as an online I was an online student um, was that the other online students were more mid-career. Yeah, granted, I skewed the age range a little bit. Um, so we had some things in common. And then, quite honestly, the pandemic happened. And then everybody started learning on Zoom. And it was this entire melting pot of intergenerational learners. It was such a, it was a much better learning experience for me than watching a live lecture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was competitive. Like, I did very, very well in my program. Um, and, like, you know, I still got nervous about, oh, my God, I've got a final, I've got a paper that, you know. I, that's, that's healthy. That's I, not bad. That's good for us. I agree. Challenging yourself. I was the same as you, Sally. I always strive to be you know, the best I can be. And if I'm not getting an A, then I need to work harder. But mostly I did very well in, at the USC program too. Yeah. And I was, people probably rolled their eyes at me because I was always the one raising my hand or answering the question or, so yeah, I was I was probably that student. 
<laughs> Any questions? Yeah, pick me. Yes. Yeah. But I loved it. I, I think immersing yourself in it and pulling as much as you can and I, it definitely makes a difference when you're when you're passionate about it and you really want to be there so yeah absolutely and um you know one of the things that i've started studying as a result of usc and now my postgraduate work is brain health and there are you know there are probably about 40 percent of dementia cases including alzheimer's could be reduced or eliminated 40% through lifestyle changes. And one of the key lifestyle changes is to continue to challenge ourselves mentally. Yeah. And you know, for some people they say, oh, I do the New York crossword puzzle every day. Yeah. Well, quite honestly, if you do it every day, you're probably really good at it and it's not that big a challenge. For me, it would be a challenge, you know? <laughs> so I'm not saying that everyone needs to go to graduate school, but ch challenging ourselves intellectually, like even learning, you know, new apps, you know, new technology, uh, it's as frustrating as it can be, it's so good for our brains. Yes, even taking a different route home in your car or walking a different path or, yeah, just taking a different path will challenge your brain and you're, you need to take in different um, environments and learn a new way. And so it doesn't have to be complicated, like you said. Right. It's, it can be it can be anything talking to different people talking to new people yeah that's um really important that we're always challenging our brains i feel like as a new mom <laughs> with sleep deprivation things can be <laughs> extra challenging for <laughs> for my brain but it's good i'm really i'm really happy to be continuing to work on this podcast and work on helping seniors in the in the community here up in Calgary, Canada. So, so Sally, you said that returning to college has given you a passion for research. Tell us a little bit more about the research related to our own ageist beliefs and why it's important to try to overcome them. Sure, absolutely. Um, just with respect to my passionate about research, um, my passion about research and You'll smile at this because we're both graduates of USC, School of Gerontology, and we both had to take research methods. And I was terrified because I don't have any science or math or any of that in my background. Um, and I loved it. I loved not only doing the research, but I loved this idea of, of like, show me the evidence. Because here in the health and wellness world, there's so much like urban legend yeah. about do this, don't do that. And, and I care very much that it's grounded in science. And uh, I had the privilege of doing my internship uh, for USC at Stanford, where I knew one of the professors I'd worked with um, previously. And we co-authored a paper on the link between dietary patterns and dementia. And we actually got it published in a peer-reviewed journal, Nutrients. Wow. So, so I, love, I love research. Um, but with respect to your question about ageism, I'm going to go back to Becca Levy uh, out of Yale. And she's written a book probably in the last couple of years. It's called Breaking the Age Code. And it's all about her decades of research that shows that our psychological beliefs about aging actually have an impact on our physiology. And that people mm -hmm. who have positive outlooks about aging 
actually can experience as much as 7.5 years of increased longevity. Wow. So it's pretty compelling. It's a, it's a book I highly recommend called Breaking the Age Code. That's huge. 7.5 years? Yes. That's huge. 7.5 years. And that's just from having a positive outlook on the aging experience and your own aging experience, yeah? Am I, yes. am I yes. summarizing yes. that correctly? And, and I would say some of this um, research is being, uh, it, it's being confirmed at USC. I don't know if you um, or your audience have heard of the Super Ager Project. It's being led by Jennifer Alshire. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what she and her team are studying are the psychosocial factors that impact superagers. Okay. So superagers are people who not only live to a long age, like 80 or older, which is still not the norm, so mm-hmm. 80 or older, but they live in in good health. It's like it's what we talked about with health span. Yeah. So they ha- they have the mental, the kind of the physical and mental characteristics of someone much younger. And you know what? Some of that's genes, and some of that is socioeconomic factors. Um, and some of it is eating well and exercise and all the lifestyle choices that we've talked about. But they're finding that the secret sauce could in fact be those psychosocial uh, beliefs and, and things like happiness, life satisfaction, social connections. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, really exciting. Do I, I'll have to look into that. That's, that's very cool that, um, Jennifer is doing that. Are they looking, do you know, are they looking at the blue zones specifically? Or are they looking in at individuals in the United States? Or do you know their target there? Yeah, it's definitely global. And if you, we may want to include in, in the podcast, I don't know, a link to the SuperAger website. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But it's, it's populations all over the world. Very cool. So, which is really fascinating. I am, um, as an aside, host of a, a program called Wellness Wednesdays, and Jennifer is my guest speaker next week. We're we're doing a program called The Secret of Super Agers, What Sets Them Apart. Oh, I will be tuning into that. Good, good, good. So it sounds like your life has a lot of purpose right now. Is having purpose a catalyst in helping overcome our beliefs about age? I'm going to say yes with a caveat. So uh, you asked the the $64,000 question, you know, is purpose important? So this is more research that I did in grad school. I was fascinated by the link between purpose and health outcomes. And so there's overwhelming positive evidence about the fact that people who over 60 who have a sense of purpose, I'm going to put air quotes around that. they have increased longevity, they have decreased comorbidities, mm-hmm. and they have better mental health as measured by greater positive effect, less depression, and less anxiety. Mm-hmm. The challenge I find when I start talking about, oh, we need to have a purpose, is that people who don't have a purpose or they feel that they don't have a big enough purpose yeah. feel that they need to find it or they feel left out or they feel that like having a purpose is you know, ending, you know, climate change or saving the world. (laughs) Something huge. And and it doesn't need to be that big. And so when I talk about purpose, there's a a Japanese term you may be familiar with, Kendra, it's called ikigai. Yes. 
it's like a softening of this. Ikigai translates into reason for being. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a better description. I think that Ikigai can evolve. And I really think the first step is being in touch with things, something that you love to do. That brings you so, joy. Yeah, that brings you joy. So quite mm-hmm. honestly, I wouldn't still be in school at 70 if I didn't, I didn't love school. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband loves to garden, and I know a lot of people love to garden. It wouldn't be what, what I would choose, but maybe, <laughs> maybe your icky guy is, is, you know, gardening. Yeah. Now, what I would suggest, again, with this concept of never too old, because I, I believe we are never too old to learn, grow, and contribute. And so if you love to garden, garden. But like maybe your neighbor needs to know, how do I plant this? Or how can I make this grow? Or what, what do I do if? Yeah. And so you might help him or her. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, neighborhood kids want to, like, I don't know, dig in your backyard. Or maybe you want to be part of a community garden. So it doesn't, you know, I'm not trying to, like, raise the high bar so much that it's like, oh, my God, I could never do that. But I do like to expand people's thinking to where can I also like contribute, maybe have some social connection yeah. around this this thing I love to do. Mm-hmm. I think that also touches on that term of generativity, giving back to your community, whether that community you want to define it as your family, your grandchildren, or the community as a whole. So going to that. Uh, garden in your local neighborhood and teaching the younger families how to tend to their garden or you know how deep to plant the seed whatever I'm I'm not a, a gardener I <laughs> I definitely yeah but yeah giving and yeah that brings some joy I think people always want to feel that they can give back I know I get a sense of joy to when I feel like I can help, that I can contribute, so. Yeah. We love to do that. It's really important. So like, instead of like making change the world, you know, could you have a positive impact on just one person's life? Yeah, absolutely. So can you give some practical examples of older adults who have done this as far yeah, as, yeah. Yeah, who, who, who haven't been kind of self-limited by their own ages beliefs. I'm going to give you a couple of examples with a caveat. And I think I think it's it's that as I share examples, it's so important that we don't compare ourselves to someone because this is really around like your personal passion. Icky guys around like what what you love to do. Um, you know, people might not want to go back to school. I don't want to garden. Um, but let me give you a couple of examples. So I'm going to start with Lily. So Lily is my friend. She was my yoga teacher for decades. She just turned 86. We went out and celebrated her birthday. And she's still teaching yoga. But here's what's really interesting about Lily is that she continued to teach yoga during the pandemic. Like at first, Kendra, like nobody did anything because, you know, shelter in place. And then we started using Zoom and she started learning things on Zoom. And then she, she said... Then I can figure out how to teach Zoom, yoga on Zoom. 
And so it's a great example. She's doing something she loves. She's doing good in the world. She's helping other people. I've heard people rave around her about her yoga and breathing classes. So it's just, um, that's a great example. Um, I'll give you another example of my friend Joan. So Joan is a fellow entrepreneur. Back in the day, we had we had competing businesses, but we decided to be friends anyway. <laughs> we stayed lifelong friends. So she's retired. She's in her 70s. And um, during the pandemic, um, she realized that not everybody could afford masks. There were thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people who, who couldn't just buy a mask, who needed one. So she organized like this really grassroots effort. It was called It Takes a Village. And she enlisted the help of community members to sew masks, to donate cloth, to donate whatever else you need to put masks together, to distribute it to people in need, to find out who needed it. They, created, they, they delivered over 1.5 million masks. Oh my gosh. And she, so, yeah, she just led great, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And she, you know, like, you know, if I ask her, she'll say, she'll say it takes a village. But she was the organizing force getting these the, the groups of people together so you know there's an example where it was something that she did at a point in time she's gone on and done other things um and that's true with the sticky guy reason for being is it can shift and evolve i think too much as older adults would think oh my god i've got to find my passion like it's the you know like it's the holy grail mm-hmm. no it kind of shifts and changes yeah i may not i may not be in school in my 80s i'm not sure i'm, I'm enjoying it now well that's that's good that you're enjoying it and that's what matters. Just be in the moment, be present, and yeah, and, and get in touch with things you love to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm finding as I'm at home with my daughter, I'm I have that time to recognize things that bring me joy. I don't know. I it I can slow down in a sense, although things are very busy now that she's crawling and I think on her way to walking. But I have that ability to self reflect, and even I need to get into journaling. That's something that's very helpful for overall well-being and mental health. So just take the time to, for those listeners out there, take the time to write down what brings you joy or pay attention to that. It's yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. What other advice can you give the listeners to help us overcome our own self-limiting beliefs? I know... I know we all have them. So what, yeah. what what can you recommend for us? Yeah, okay. I'm going to answer that in two ways. So first of all, you said, you know, we all have them. We all have them at any age. So it's not just older adults. And, and I'm just going to say something about being a woman. It's like, oh, my God, when you're young, like you're too young to do anything. And then when you're older, you know, you're like too old to do anything. I mean, you can't win, right? Yep. But, but what we're talking about here in, in today's program is ageism and our own self-limiting beliefs about age. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to recap two things and then I'll end with a third. Um, you know, one is, it, it, one is like find what you're passionate about doing, okay? The second is don't compare yourself to others, you know, in terms of, uh, there's, I, I read about a 90-year-old woman who ran a marathon. Well, like, good for her, yeah. but I don't want to do that, <laughs> you know? So, don't, so, so you know, don't get in your own way because you're comparing yourself. Yeah. Here's the third one, and this is something else I also studied um, in graduate school, is 
be really careful about humor related to ageism. Mm-hmm. You know, ageism is is kind of it's rampant. It's it's a, almost like it's the only form of of discrimination that's widely accepted because we make fun of old people. Mm-hmm. That term. Um, and we have mis you know we have we have impressions of, of you know older adults, but it gets translated into things like greeting cards. And I became very aware of this. I have a I have a twin. I love my twin. And we used to send each other what we called our tasteless birthday cards. We'd send this is your nice card <laughs> and this is your tasteless card. And the tasteless cards were funny. Yeah. But, but after a while I realized that the tasteless cards were kind of like this these old granny cards that are very, you know, kind of stereotypical mm-hmm. in terms of how an older woman would look and how she's falling apart. And and what happens is then you juxtapose this negative Im- image of aging with humor and somehow it's supposed to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not okay. And I was like I, I was victim of it. And then so for the research I did at USC I just started seeing how rampant this was, this kind of combination of humor, things that were supposed to be funny. There was one, it was a an ad for, you know, like a, a, a dining special. And it was a son who was taking his father to a, a diner for an early dinner. But the dad had on a crash helmet, he was in um in a shopping cart, and it was supposed to be funny. But it just isn't, and yet it reinforces our own beliefs. So, like, don't don't buy those cards. Mm, I don't, agree. Don't buy into the fact that that you know people who or, or groups that make fun of aging are funny because they're not. No, I completely agree with you. It's it's just so limiting and it excludes people there could be a we could do a whole other episode about the effects of ageism on people's confidence just every part of their life and how it can impact them so i agree do not buy those cards people don't buy them yeah 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 my sister gets two nice cards now well that's good that's good funny but not no no old granny cards good good Sally, do you have any final tips for our audience today? You know, I I knew you were going to ask that, and so I have a segment of a poem that I want to read. And it's a poem I shared when I turned 70 in my newsletter. I I did something called Reflections on Turning 70, and I, I quoted Paul Simon, who said, How terribly strange to be 70. And I said, no, I don't know. I think it's kind of wonderful. But then I shared this poem. It's by Samantha Reynolds. I'm only going to read you a a short segment of it. But I just love it. I am not old, she said. I am rare. I am the standing ovation at the end of the play. I am a treasure. I am a map. And these wrinkles are imprints of my journey. Ask me anything. Wow. I just got goosebumps from that. I love that. Oh. 
I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's, it's just a great example of reframing our perspective. I am not old. I am rare. Yeah. I am standing ovation at the end of the play. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much, Sally. I so appreciate your time and having this conversation today. I hope that the listeners listen, or not listen, but read that book. Can you, I'll link the, the name of that book and also the Super Agers website to this podcast so you can check that out. I will also link Sally's web um, company, Zing, My Zing Life. And check her out. And I know, Sally, I'm going to let you share with the audience that you recently were acknowledged by LA Times. Was it LA Times? Correct me if I'm wrong. It was called, it's LA Weekly. LA Weekly. Yeah. Yep. And I was named one of the top 10 entrepreneurs uh, breaking barriers and inspiring others. And what I loved about it, like, I'm the only person, like, 70 or older in that group. But what they recognize, just really what we're talking about today, Kendra, never too old. Never too old to learn, grow, and make a difference in someone's life. Yeah. Well, thank you for all you do. And um, yes, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing amazing work, Sally. Thank you so much. Kendra, it was a pleasure.